Welcome to episode six of You Shall Not Pass Go. We are your hosts, Dave, Jengas, and we are hosted on GeekAid.com. What's your geek? <laughs> hey, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Is it contrived? What do you mean? Are open? Uh, no, it's rehearsed. I guess. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. All right. So, um. <laughs> so moving into uh, Magic know, the Gathering as, as we always do on Geek Aid, If this is your first time listening to You Shall Not Pass Go uh, Where we talk about Magic the Gathering Then Dungeons and Dragons And then we do a board game review at the end uh, For Magic the Gathering uh, We're going to start off with the newest set That released uh, a couple weeks ago That's right uh, Eldritch, Eldritch Moon Eldritch Moon yeah. The second set of the Innist- the the return to Innistrad. That's not the name of the, the the arc, but that's what it is. It is <laughs> Innistrad, the Second Coming. <laughs> Literally, almost. Right. Um, so, uh, do you want to just? What do you? What were your impressions of the set, David? I liked the set. I did. I liked it a lot. Interesting going from this to from uh, Shadows. Yeah, I mean, not really, not really. Yeah. I mean, it's part of the set. Shadows is part of the block. It's the same thing. There were more some, transformations, more werewolves. Well, but there was really interesting. Well, I mean, one really interesting mechanic that I think like no one Meld. saw coming. Yeah, the un- unglued or unhinged mechanic. <laughs> the, the Yu-Gi-Oh uh, mechanic. Yeah, right. Egyptian god cards. <laughs> um, the Exodias. No, there's a mechanic in Yu-Gi-Oh where they do the exact same thing. Oh, is there really? Yeah, the fusion is the flips of the cards. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I uh, I like the idea of it. It's fun. Yeah. Overall, it was a good set. In my box, I pulled Emrakul. Um, right. Not what I wanted. I wanted Tamio, or even um, I really wanted Gisela. I got Bruna, but I wanted Gisela because I wanted Priscilla. I wanted to get Priscilla. <laughs> Priscilla is one of the meld cards. Yeah, for my Angels uh, EDH deck, that would have been nice. Mm-hmm. I did get two Spell Quellers though, which mark my words. I mean, not that it's to anybody's surprise, but that card is going to be. Lots of money, really quick. It is going to be the Snapcaster Mage of this version of this Innistrad. It's very um, possible. Not, I mean, it obviously doesn't do the same thing. Clearly, different cards, but just in terms of like, it's that random rare that probably shouldn't have been printed and is amazing. Um, for those of you that don't know, Spell Queller is a creature with flash. It costs three or four, to my knowledge. I don't remember the exact moment, but it's one blue, one white, and then it's either one or two um, to cast, and. It has flash, and when you cast it, you exile target spell for as long as Spell Queller is on the field. So it's sort of like a flash obring, but instead of just doing a permanent, it does the spell on the stack. So it has that counter spell flare. So you play a spell, I flash out Spell Queller. If you don't respond to it, your spell goes underneath Spell Queller until Queller leaves, and then your spell kind of gets put back on the stack again to be used. But it only um, does it to things that cost four or less. Correct. The that is the the one stipulation is it must cost four or less mana. But still, in the modern and standard constructed scene, I mean, oh, yeah. you're not looking at things that cost more than four. Not at least not many of them. If we're talking Eldrazi, yes, of course, that's slightly different. And there is of course the Eldrazi decks. But when you're looking at every other deck, you know, I mean, in modern affinity. If you look at all of Affinity, it's like I think the highest cost card in there is three. Yeah, it's all supposed to be quick. Everything's quick. Right. Low, low curve, quick game, like try to get out there. Really Turn fast. three or four, you want to be winning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Queller is going to, I think, I mean, 
I I think it started at seven dollars when the set released, and a couple days later already bumped up to eleven. Mm-hmm. I'm sure by a month or two, I wouldn't be shocked if it was being played in both modern and standard constructed, and will probably hit easily twenty thirty dollars a pop. Oh my God. Um, but overall, outside of you know whatever Wizards was thinking with that print, um, Eldritch Moon is I thought a solid set. Mm-hmm. Um, fun to play. Uh, but you know, I, I don't know. The meld thing is just weird to me. I like it in terms of like, Hey, this is a fun new mechanic, but at the same time, I'm like, this seems a, is this really playable? That's the real question. <laughs> like, mean, I'm, it's, I'm sh- it's as playable as transform is. I don't know. I think transform is easier because transform is not combo. It, I feel like, you know what I'm saying? Like transform is like, you have a card out. And it can already do the thing you want it to. I feel like in a limited format, certain meld cards are really good. Uh, like Gibbering... Uh, bleh, I forget the name of it already. But the Rat one. Um, well, of course, because it's common and you can actually pull it in a But that's what I'm saying. It is playable. In, because maybe, but I'm talking in Constructed. Yeah, in Constructed... I know in the Star City games that were going on a couple days ago, um, someone was running the Brizella. The Brizella. And apparently they were hitting it. I'm not sure how much that'll keep I up. Just, I just don't think both both ends aren't great. One end is great. The other end is mediocre. And they come together to make a something, but getting to that point, I feel like is slow. Yeah, it's I think Gisela herself is just a great card. Yeah, like the meld would be a bonus, but I think in having in standard right now a what is she a four drop angel Mm -hmm. that has flying first strike and vigilance or something like that you know three awesome mechanics whatever or maybe it's flying lifelink it's first strike whatever she is she's great Um, and i know that angels will probably see the scene if not white weenies i'm thinking with that's the other thing thalia um, I think Thalia, white Guardian of Thraben. I think <laughs> white weenies can make a comeback in modern. I'm, I was looking at modern top decks the other day, and I didn't see a lot of white weenies anymore. Like it's just not a deck that people play in modern, the current format. I think because it's actually too slow and it's not powerful enough. But I think the new Thalia really evens things out. I built a test deck of white weenies in modern. Oh, really? Yeah, and I faced it versus my uh, my affinity because I have a program you know simulates mm-hmm. decks, obviously. Um, don't worry, I didn't spend that much money. <laughs> What's the program? It's called Decked Builder. Hmm. It's on all... I don't know if it's on Windows, but it is on OS X. Um, I think it was free when I got it, or maybe it was like five bucks. But it updates their card database with every time something new comes out. You can build decks, and then you can test play them. Nice. Oh, yeah, so for my purposes, it works out great. So anyway, I tested this new White Weenies concept I had, um, and it worked out really, really well. Um, Ranger of Eos, I think, is a card that people have forgotten about a little bit. Or, I mean, I'm making general assumptions here. I'm sure there are tons of people that play a Ranger of Eos. <laughs> but it was printed in shards, and it was the four-drop human soldier that when he comes into play, you search your deck for any ca- any creature cards okay. with converted mana cost of one or less. Oh. Combine that with the current Kidian who is one drop <laughs> and champion of the parish who is that human that gets yeah. the plus one plus ones both of those are great one drops yeah. run a couple copies of those ranges of eos and you know when you hit that later mana curve you're looking at just non-stop soldier human uh synergy between that thalia's uh 
Thalia herself, and then Thalia's Thalia's lancers, not lancers. Lancers oh. the one that pull legendaries. Yeah, the the other ones, the uh, the ones from Shadows Over Innistrad. They're the they're the human the human ones that come out with a plus one plus one counter for every human you have. Like it's I don't it's counters it's counter heavy. Yeah, as we butcher all of the cards we talk about. <laughs> but long story short, I thought it. This set really made white weenies, I think, playable in modern. I know that there's a white weenie scene still in standard, or at least blue white. Well, yeah, blue white for sure. Um, which you know, Spellqueller fits right in there. Bant, I think, is yeah is getting there. Um, but I, I definitely feel like um, there were a couple really good cards. Thalia, Spellqueller, and Gisela are probably my top three. And then there's Tamio. Tamio. The new Tamio is, I mean, it's a possible omniscience at the end, which is great That's if you crazy. can pop her. Um, but even her other abilities are just nice. Card yeah. card advantage or just tapping something down. Yeah, but I don't like the meter green. Stepping in my territory with your blue. <laughs> <laughs> That's Bant, man. That is Bant, I know. Uh, all in all, solid set. What about you? Any thoughts? Um, I enjoyed uh, Eldritch Moon. Um at first, I was very excited because I like when designers take risks. Risks, yeah, yeah, yeah uh, called risks. And there are a couple like strange things. You're like, oh, that's an interesting choice. Uh, they finally gave me my work. They finally gave me my werewolf commander that I was looking for, but not the one that I wanted. I don't know if this is the werewolf commander we deserve, but I mean. <laughs> He's they, a legendary werewolf. He's I don't a know. legendary werewolf. Uh, he's red and green. But he does not have the synergy. And I wanted synergy. He does have synergy. He just doesn't have... you. I think you were looking for... I was for looking global, for pluses. You were looking like, for what Mare of Averbrook has. Yeah. You were looking for global pump for all werewolves. Of course. And I wanted that. I wanted tribal stuff. But you have that. Yeah. You have that in other cards. Other cards. You play stuff like... I mean, remember, you play, in, in Commander setting, you play stuff like Door of Destinies. Mm-hmm. Every time you play a werewolf... You get a coat of arms. Yeah, yeah, coat of arms. There's Every, plenty like, of other things. Exactly. To make it more tribal. I'm exactly. Um, what I the most the what I most really appreciated. That's the worst. Anyways, um, <laughs> what I really appreciated about Eldritch Moon was the attention to to turn lore into design decisions. Um, they've done it before, but I really, I mean, I've I really noticed it the most here. Um, I think Meld was something born from lore uh, because in it, Emer- in Eldritch Moon, Emrakul starts sp- spreading her insanity all over Innistrad and it starts turning Emrakul people. Emrakul is a woman? Yeah. Wow. She's Ameria, the sky angel, but that's the legend. Anyways. Um, <laughs> um, from the, anyways. <laughs> um, but... You didn't read in, in all the stories. I'm they not, said like she's coming. Lo- she I read. The, you know. I read D and D lore, not magic lore. Oh, magic lore was good. Yeah, it was good apparently. this time. Um, I'll talk about that in just a second. But um, but the fact that Emrakul started like turning things into uh, monsters with her insanity, and like she turned the angels and fused them together, like to make Brisella. Like so, you have this melded card and. Uh, and like you just see it, and like there's like a lot of things that you wouldn't be like, you know, these cryptoliths, you know, you could have just made them a artifact, whatever. But the fact that they transform and that they they do additional things, uh, I think that like to I think there was the one the the blue card that 
pulls a, a little drowsy from outside the game yep. into the into the game, which is like that's what Nahiri did to get Emrakul into Innistrad, and it's like that's you know that's just like that kind of stuff. Really, like I was like, wow, this is really good. Even, a lot of the developers. Uh, a lot of the Magic developers even said like this is one of their favorite design sets, mm. and they said that the next set's going to be their second favorite design set. Uh, uh, they just want to sell cards. I mean, maybe, but uh, but so what? What I really did like the lore of Eldritch Moon. It was like the Gatewatch. A lot of people, a lot of people, were very critical of the Gatewatch. The, there was no Black Planeswalker. There was no Black Planeswalker, and now, now there is. Now there is. Now we have Oath of Liliana. Uh, Liliana, the Last Hope. Um, the they actually just released today when we're recording the final chapter. Well, not the maybe not the final chapter, but like the end of the battle uh, of Innistrad uh, when they shove El- Emrakul into the moon. But the most interesting thing is that well, Liliana joins the Oath Watch. Or the Gate Watch. She takes oath of the Gate Watch because she's interested in becoming free of the Chain Veil. That's always been her goal: is to control the Chain Veil. And she feels like when she, when she was fighting with the Gate Watch, she was able to exert more control over it than she was ever to have in the past when she was acting selfishly. Um, but the so the the penultimate battle, they're all fighting Emrakul. Emrakul's starting to take control of all of them. Uh, like one by one, even Liliana and her zombies, uh, she had to fight to control the zombies. And then you get to Jace, obviously, because he's the guy. Because he's, he's magic main <laughs> character. Um, Jace goes into, like, he gets into, like, a dream state. Right. Um, and he sees, like, he's in his own mind. Uh, and he sees an angel appear. Uh, and this angel is hooded, has two huge Thick wings and ribbons spread from her coat. It's Emrakul. But apparently, in the, if you read the Battle for Zendikar lore, there was like the the, Titan, the Eldrazi Titans were the gods of Zendikar. Um, and uh, Emrakul is Ameria, the sky angel. Hmm. Um, that's what they say. That's the legends. That's why she appeared to Jace as an angel. So they play a game of chess. Um, and Jace is like, Jace is kind of like going crazy because Emrakul's just bleeds crazy. Right. Uh, actually, no. The most important part of this. Emrakul is Cthulhu of the magic world. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Um, but the most important, sort of, this is just, I really like the story. I kind of want to embellish. She starts out, like, she comes in. And she's like, can I have a seat? He's like, you know, I didn't expect, cur- I didn't expect, you know, some kind of manners from this horrific beast and he's like but he's also kind of going he's like sure have a seat and then she t- she starts writing the scroll and she starts writing she's like no no it doesn't make any sense this isn't right i'm not ready yet uh the world is supposed to be sprouting not barren with re- uh, resent uh, no it's too soon much too soon um and then he starts asking her questions but she's like she doesn't answer she's just writing and then he's like, you know, what are you? Are you Emrakul? Where are you Emeria? Who are you? And then she's like, would you like to play a game of chess? If you win, I will answer all your questions. But if I win... Uh... <laughs> oh, no, no, that's the great line. She says, um, if you win, I'll answer your, all your questions. And Jason's like, what if I win? She's like, boy, I've been winning the entire time. <laughs> 
<laughs> and it's like, <laughs> and nice. so they play. She makes a chess board. They play chess. She's like, I'm good at chess. And he's like, Oh, I can see checkmate in four moves or well, three moves. She made a mistake. It's like, Here you go, checkmate. And she's like, Huh? So it is. And then she weighs her hand, and all of Jace's chess pieces start going insane, killing each other. He's like, But, but that's cheating. It's like, No, it's not. All the pieces are mine. I'm just tired of playing. <laughs> and it's like... And then she kicks him out of this little mental thing. And uh, she tells him to keep looking. Uh, so it was something like, time only goes forward. Something like that. Um, and they kicked him out. Um, and then he's like, oh... And he's like, Anyways, a convoluted thing. The one of the ta Tamio has a scroll. Jenkins, you are all over the place right and, now. <laughs> anyways, the way it ends is Tamio has a scroll uh, that she thought was supposed to end everything, right. but she put. But Jace doesn't know that. Um, but she pulls out the scroll and she casts a spell, and that spell is what sent Emrakul into the moon. Uh -huh. But then when Jace meets up with Tommy, he's like, "Hey, you did it! You saved us all!" And she's crying. She's weeping. She's like, "No, I didn't. She did it." She took control of me at that last moment. She made me cast that spell. That wasn't the spell that was supposed to be in there. Someone rewrote the spell to make it so that she went into the moon. So I don't think this is the end of Emrakul. Um, and I could go into more about like how the Eldrazi are the the creator of planes and like they're the they're the t the originators of. Anyways, it's ridiculous. Magic huh. lore is weird, but overall, I like those. So you like the moon. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you like Delgin's <laughs> Moon, buddy. Yeah. Uh, moving on, uh, I guess next we should maybe talk about the... The controversy. The super controversy. <laughs> I mean, I feel like we say that every time in our magic I segment. Mean, there's a lot of but magic it's kind of it's kind of part of the same... It's a, it's, it's a similar... It is tied to the controversy we have talked to before on the, on the show. We talked a couple episodes. might have even been our first episode when we talked about uh, how there was supposedly this whole thing with people playing the magic market. Um, there might have been a leak in Wizards and this and that, and it kind of spawned from there that people are doing things to the to the card market that they shouldn't be able or shouldn't be allowed to do. Because magic cards are kind of like stock right. to a lot of people. And, and there's, are, there's a forms of insider trading in this as well. This particular part of the scandal comes from a guy who has been controlling the magic buyouts. Now, what the magic buyouts are, this individual takes a card that he either preemptively seized as something that's going to start doing well in a format, usually legacy or vintage because those are the older, more expensive cards, but it could be even something closer in modern finds what that card is, the card that's going to have some new synergy or have something that nobody has discovered yet or they're, they're on the verge of discovering, buys as many copies as possible. That's why it's better to do something like Legacy because the copies are limited. And mm -hmm. if you try to do something like Standard, There's a reserve be, list. And right. They, they're not going to reprint these things right. anymore. Exactly. Buys as many copies as he can, spends some... Several unholy thousand dollars. Yeah, some unholy I amount have, of money. I have one thing here. And then, now controlling the market on the card, sells them back at an increased price, setting the new price for the card himself, gaining a profit, 
and increasing the value of the card that he paid for. Interesting way to go about the business, and he makes a living doing this. Like, this is his full-time job. He is a father, so he He's has... An MTG day trader. Right. He is, <laughs> like, this is, like, his legitimate business. There's a lot of issues. Some people might hear this and think, you know, the stock-minded, the money-minded might think this guy has a great business strategy, and I'm not saying it's not. But, but the problem this, is, the problem is <laughs> it ruins the spirit of the game it, it, because it, it has repercussions. And the main repercussion is in the legacy format. And that's the fact that legacy and vintage, as the as the more eternal formats of magic, they are expensive to play. Because if you want to win or if you want to have a shot at winning, usually your deck has to have cards that cost a pretty penny. And sometimes maybe that pretty penny is something that's obtain, uh, obtainable to you. Like maybe there's a card that costs $100, we'll use for an example. And you, th- you think, I can do this. I can raise the $400 I need to get four copies of that card. Then when you're on the cusp, especially if you're a younger person, if you're a kid playing the game, a teenager, and you have like a minimum wage job, like yeah, you don't have bills, all you have is disposable income, but it's still a lot of money to save and to blow on cards, like literal cards. Then all of a sudden, this guy comes along, that particular card that you wanted for $100, he happened to see is going to have a better synergy or is, you know, thinks is going to blow up. He buys them out, resets the price, sells them back at a profit, and now the card that you were going to pay $100 a copy for is now $350 a copy for. And all of a sudden, it's just not worth it or it is just simply un- unobtainable for you to get these cards. Yeah. And now you were locked out of playing a format of this game in poor taste because somebody wanted to make a profit. Yeah. It's really it's I, horrible. <laughs> it's horrible, but at the same time like I, you know, this is a really interesting moral argument. And yeah. ladies and gentlemen, hearing about this, if you understand what it is we're talking about, please leave your own comments below. Um we'd love to hear what you have to say and what you have to think. Uh especially because we don't get many comments and no. we would love to air them. Mm-hmm. But me personally, my standpoint is, you know, I can see why it would ruin the spirit of the game. And yes, I do think from as a player, as someone who plays the game and wants to continue playing the game, and there was a point at which I did want to build a legacy deck and I had to I was kind of forced to building a very certain type of deck, ley lines, um, because ley lines was cheap. Yeah. Or cheap as far as legacy is concerned. Yeah, legacy. Um <laughs> I, I, I from that standpoint I do under I, I would be inf- I would be infuriated from that standpoint. I would be like, this is against the game, uh, and it did infuriate a lot of people. Oh yeah, the magic community was up in arms. In like, there was the the Reddit was all over the all over the place, and the forums where everyone was going crazy. And with that was like, this is insane, and everyone panicked. Everyone panicked, and uh, they decided like you know everyone's like you know do we buy now? Do we do we wait? Do we wait for the prices to stabilize, or like you know, do we buy out while the prices are still rising? Mm-hmm. It's like it was insane. A yeah, lot. and I I get that, but then I look at this guy, and I see me, mm-hmm. a young guy, younger, you know, twenties. Yeah, um, a father of one has a house, has bills. And I look at him. Has a kid's college fund to think about. Exactly. And, like, and, I, and I'm looking at this guy and I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if I wouldn't do the same thing if I had, A, the accessible disposable income initially 
to start because he started at a young age, started as a teenager. So he he kind of had the ball rolling from that point and then was able to sort of make it his business. If I had the means to do the same thing, would I? I'm not sure. If I could make some crazy amount of money that could cover all my bills and do it by gaining rare yeah. magic cards in the process. Right. For trading magic cards. <laughs> I, I think that would be something that I would want to do. It's, 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 called, so, it's called day trade. Right. Yeah, I do, but that's not, but, but not, you know, I don't want to be a stock trader. Yeah. I would never want to work stocks. Um, so point being is from that perspective, from the perspective as an adult who lives in a world of bills, a world controlled by money, I I can't fault the guy. Mm-hmm. I can only say he's just doing what he needs. He's doing something that he enjoys to make money. What's What's funny was um, we're referencing a, there was an interview with this guy. Uh, we'll post it in our show notes. Um, but what's interesting is they did ask him like, if you're so good at this, why didn't you try stocks? And he's like, because I know magic better. Exactly. He knows how magic fluctuates. He knows the trends. He knows, you know, he follows it closer. And I'm an acting teacher. I don't go teach English. Yeah. You'd think, why? It's kind of the same thing, right? English is part, I mean, you need words to act. You have literature, plays or literature. You should be able to teach English. sentences. (laughs) That is not the case. I know that I have grammatical errors. I know that I don't know every rule of English like an English teacher does. So, and and I love theater. Yeah. So that's what I teach. So in the same vein... That's exactly what he's saying. While, while what he's doing may seem to be the same process as a stock trader, mm-hmm. he knows magic. Magic is where his... That's his bread and butter. Right. That's what he knows. That's his expertise. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting like, sort of moral conflict. Yeah. Um, to combat this, uh, TCG player... Who they are the? They're one of the largest distributors of Magic singles, and like they're and they themselves aren't necessarily a distributor so much as the midway point. Yeah. They're the they they're buy like, stock, they sell it back to players. Not not even that. Sometimes it's just direct from other people. Like you mm-hmm. want TCG player, and it's you're looking at other people selling cards to you, and because they're doing it through TCG player, so kind of like eBay. Yeah, they get they're like the eBay of Magic cards essentially. TCG player to combat this, uh, they have on their website, among other things, listing prices for these cards. They show what the average price of the card is. Now, because of these buyouts, you would see a card one day worth, you know, like I said, the 100 would all of a sudden be worth 350 and you'd mm-hmm. be like, wow, how did that happen? To, to help combat this until Wizards either does or doesn't do something about it, they're making I don't think Wizards will ever do anything. I don't think they can. I think their hands are kind of tied. Yeah. Um, not to mention, it, they would have to. It's kind of lucrative for them because they, it just makes their cards more desirable. They would have to abolish the reserve list, and everyone would go yeah. crazy. Yeah. Everyone would go crazy. <laughs> um, but TCG Player, what they're doing is they are having a new listing price called, uh, I believe, like market Me- value like or like median or like market. No, median market price. Market, market price. price. Yeah. yeah, market price. I have the. Have it open right now. Market price. What it is is they're taking the data from all the times the card sold, and they're telling you the average price that it sold for, like that it that it actually sold for, not what it's being listed for. Because it used to be the listing price, and there's a difference there. I can list a card for eight hundred dollars, but if nobody's buying that card, then then they're saying that that's not really the value of the card. The value of the card is the fourteen dollars that everybody's paying for it. So that way, when this buyout happens, this guy pays 
thousands of dollars and gets 100 copies of this card and nobody else can find it and then he lists it for $150 more, people are going to see it for that price. They're going to say, oh my God, the price is three fifty, but they're going to look at the market value and be like, no, this card's only $100. People yeah. are only paying $100 because even sometimes they were saying that when this when this fluctuation, when this inflation does happen, yeah. you're, you're only looking at the listing prices of the cards currently on the market. And the reason they're there is because no one's paying for them. Exactly. What you're not seeing are the quick transactions when somebody puts it up for $100 and a minute later it's bought. Yeah. So market value is essentially an estimation of what the card is legitimately selling for rather than just an estimation of the average prices that it's being listed for. Which is a good way to kind of give like an F you to these buyout people. Because this guy that we're talking about <laughs> is not the only one. Um, but it really Tons of is, people play the market. I mean, what is... I told you my standpoint. I have like... I can see both sides. How, how do you feel? What do you feel about um, this? Not to like... I mean, in my opinion, uh, it's hard. It's hard for me to say. Because like I know magic is an expensive hobby. It can be very expensive. Um, you know, I I do not envy the legacy players and you know the collections they've amassed or the collections they have yet to purchase. Um, you know, I can't. I mean, like I said, the guy didn't do anything wrong. It's not illegal. It's not against the You know, this is just something. It's just a generally it's in poor fr- taste. It, it's frowned from, upon yeah, by the com- community. Exactly. Um, but he did it, and so, like you can't fault him. So I'm just, I, I can't say yes or no. Right. So like, you're like me. It's yeah, kind of in between. It's, it's, you can't, you know. Right. You know. Great. You area. want more people to play Legacy. You want the card prices to be fine. But these, as long as cards are being able to be purchased right. and, you know, sold like right. this, this is what's going to happen. And at the same time, like, this is also, like, this is this guy's job now. Yeah. Like, so, and he has a baby. And I can't think, like, well, you know what I mean? Like, it's. You, you can't fault a man for trying to make money. There's like, no. In yeah, this world. <laughs> There's no black and white. It's shades of gray. Yeah. Um, moving on, we are t- going to talk about two different tournaments. Um, the first one is one that I went to at New World Manga in Livingston. Uh, one of the co-owners there, Chris, created a format of magic he has called Magic Redux. Mm-hmm. Is this like is this like Legacy or yeah, like- sort of, but slightly different. Redux is a version of magic that's like playing in the early days. With some variations, hmm. it's like, the like it's alpha, alpha beta, oh. unlimited, uh, and then I believe the first five sets, which is like Arabian Nights, Antiquities, Legends, The Dark, and there's one more I'm forgetting. Anyway, so it's like the very beginning age of Magic. It has its own restricted list. There's also um, a ban list, mm-hmm. and some cards that are banned you can play more modern updated cards so you can play four copies of newer cards as opposed to the older cards that are uh banned so like with ancestral recall um which is the card that you know was one of the power nine or is one of the power nine which for one mana allows you to either draw three or to force your opponent to draw three now with that being said that was really powerful obviously way overpowered ridiculously powerful um and so that is banned, but instead in its place, you can play four, up to four copies of Brainstorm, which you draw three to your hand and then put two back on the top of your deck in an order you choose in, uh, in return for getting to essentially net one card. But it also fixes your hand because you can keep the three cards that you got and fix it. But point being is it has the flavor of Re- Ancestral Recall, but it's not quite there. Instead of the Moxes, 
um, they use the talismans, the dual-colored talismans from Mirrodin, mm. which they you can either tap them for a colorless mana, or you can tap them for one of two colors, but it deals a damage to you. But that's more reasonable. Right, but as opposed to a mox, you yeah, know what I mean? which is ridiculous. Uh, and instead of Black Lotus, the Lotus Petal. Lotus Petal. Really fun format. I got to play my first go at it. And the prizes are always great. The prize that day was uh, a dual land. There was three Ooh. dual lands, and you got to pick the winner. Got to pick one of the three, and it was theirs to keep. And entry fee, I think, was only ten dollars. Has to have at least ten players for that's the dual land prize. But that's not bad if you're paying ten dollars and potentially getting a dual land. It was revised. This is pretty penny. Yeah. Great fun. Simple. It's amazing how much more simple the game is at that time. Still strategic, but it's just. Looking at, I, I was. It's funny because after playing it, harkening back to the the uh, the rules of creating cars that we read from Richard Garfield. Yeah, but even then, it's just simple in terms of like I look at. We we're just talking about Eldritch Moon mechanics. Cards can be so wordy nowadays. <laughs> like the cards that are available to you back in the day, like the most you're gonna get. Like I, for instance, I was playing a mono black deck. I had Black Knight. He's a two two for two that has first strike. Protection and from protection white. from white. It's one of my favorite black cards. Yeah, it was just, but it's like it's just so simple. You know what I mean? Elegant, simple. Um, a lot of land destruction back in the day, which mm-hmm. is interesting. Uh, but anyway, I played a mono black deck. I think I needed to have more focus in it. I won my first round. No, I lost my first round. I went one and two. My second round, I went two and one. Ooh. My third round, I went one and two. Okay. And my fourth round, I went. Two and one. So, straight down the middle. <laughs> right. So straight down the middle, and I ended up tying a bunch of people. My overall ranking was eighth. I think there were like 15 people there. So I was somewhere in the middle. Mm. Um, but I was tied with like five other people maybe in varying positions, and most of them above me because of the way I, you know, it's about who you faced and who they faced and who beat who. Of course. Um, yes. Or who beat whom. Each person, um, yes. That's the proper English. Like I said, you not said an you English teacher. Know, I was about to there say. it is. <laughs> Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. What would you say? And well, oh, I should also mention everybody goes home with a prize. Oh, really? Yeah. Like um, a pack, or well, they put out, uh, or at least I think it was everybody. It might have been top, top eight. No, I think it was everybody. I'm pretty sure everybody went home with a prize that stayed. I can't. Don't quote me on it. And Chris, if you're listening, I'm not trying to make your life harder. Um, <laughs> so I may be wrong, but Chris put out a lot of different prizes. Maybe crazy. And. What it is is you get to pick the prize you want based on the order you ranked. So even though the you know we say the winner got a dual land, technically if the winner didn't want the dual land, they could pick one of the other prizes on the table, and then whoever was next could be like, oh my god, I want that dual land. <laughs> so you crazy up, man? <laughs> um, so I ended up walking away with the uh, Skirk Prospector or whatever the new Skirk Goblin is. It was the buy box promo, um, one or two sets back. Might have been. Um, not shadows, maybe with the gate watch. That's, it was one of them. Sounds appropriate. Um, it was a buy box promo, a little goblin, and uh, it was nice. It was nice. It was really nice. I had a fun time. My deck was a little unfocused. I think mm-hmm. I, I I immediately came home and fixed the things that needed fixing, and I actually can't wait to go back and try again. Oh, I should also mention for those of you that are thinking this is just like Legacy, how could I ever play? Just realize the card pool, a lot of cards have been reprinted. And in fact, if you go to New World, they even have, in addition to their great stock of singles that they have all categorized by sets, they have a whole big box of cards dedicated 
just to that format. It's a Redux box, and there's tons of cards in there you can buy. And and these some of these cards have been you know reprinted eight nine times, so they're they're only a couple cents, maybe a dollar at most. That's awesome. And for the cards that are a lot of money, like dual lands or something. You're allowed up to eight proxies. Oh, that's very generous. Right? So That's extremely generous. Yeah. So <laughs> if there's if there is a card that you want to run, if you're running two colors and you want to run like old fashioned dual lands and you don't have them, this is still a format that's accessible to you because you can run those proxies. You have to be, you know, very choosy about what you what you have for those, but still it was really nice. So what would you say was the most ridiculous deck you ran into? Um I can't even say anything was ridiculous. I'm actually just shocked at how two of the decks I faced were almost like mirror matches. Any elves? I didn't face an elves deck. Wow. Um, I mean, I guess not, that's not, not wow. Well, not in the tournament itself. Um, in between rounds, here's another thing. Chris usually has maybe two or so decks on hand pre-made if you don't have a deck to play yourself and you want to come join the fun. So you can even rent a deck for the night from them. That's how that's how accommodating they are. Um, but I, I play tested one of the decks he built. It was a green deck, and it did have some elves in there. But no, what I ran into, the first one I ran into was like a zoo deck, you know, old-fashioned zoo. Mm-hmm. Second deck I ran into mirrored mine slightly. In my deck, I was running Underworld Dreams. For someone who may not know what zoo means. Uh, Just a brief, like... Like, think like red and green... Maybe splice in a little bit of white, but usually red and green, and then like creatures of all sorts. Um, yeah, and zoo. Next one was an Underworld Dreams deck, similar to what I had in mine. Um, I was running mono black, and it had a discard kind of flair to it, but it was still kind of aggro based. Mm-hmm. I actually ended up getting rid of the Underworld Dreams that were in my deck and went for more. More hard aggro. But anyway, that's besides... I was spliced in white when I came home. But regardless... Um, so the deck I faced was like a draw deck. I ended up beating it out. Actually, my Underworld Dreams worked well for me because my opponent had out like a Howling Mine because oh. their deck was about drawing and <laughs> dealing damage, but they didn't have their dreams yet. So I pulled my dreams and I was like, ha-ha, here we go. Gotcha. <laughs> um, the next deck I faced was a mirror to the aggro portion of my deck. It was a mono black, really hard aggro. And then the last deck I faced was effectively white weenies, like old-fashioned white weenies. And the bomb card was, you know, Sarah Angel. <laughs> Sarah Angel. Really, it was it was a lot of fun. Sounds and fun. They run the, the they run the event once a month, and I plan on going back. Cool. Yeah. So the second kind of uh, this is a long magic segment. Um, yes. The second tournament we're going to talk about is one that Jenks and I both went to very recently. The Star City Games IQ. Um, invitational qualifier invitational qualifier which was just a few days ago from when we're recording this podcast Jengis was very tired <laughs> I was very tired we played a hardcore game of mage night uh, at my house the night before we won we did <laughs> that's a story for another time <laughs> um, but uh, yeah it was uh, limited sealed mm-hmm. sealed deck $35 so it was Eldritch entry. Moon limited yep which involved four packs of Eldritch Moon Two packs of shadows over Innistrad. Uh, it was my first time at something like that where you had to register your deck beforehand and uh, and and the cards. Yeah. You had to give all the cards you opened to you uh, a random person next to you that you based on you know where you were seated initially, and they had to check off the cards that you got in your packs, and you had to check off theirs. Yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean it was official tournament. Yeah, you know? um, but as Dave said, I was very tired. Um, and so tired 
normally in a limited format, in a sealed limited format, you're really only supposed to make a 40-card deck. Yep. Because you don't normally have enough cards to make a solid 60-card deck. You can make a 60-card deck, and I did make a 60-card deck. Because Jangus's head was not in the game. <laughs> I was not. Um, but normally you're supposed to make a 40. It just makes your deck more consistent, makes it more reliable. Exactly. And I did not have a reliable deck because I made a 60-card deck. I realized it after the first game, um, which was far too late because I had already submitted my deck list, and you can't change your deck after you submit your deck list. Now, mind you, all the cards you have in your possession count as your sideboard. So in between your games with your in the rounds that you're in, you can technically sideboard out. So, in between rounds one and two, Jengis and I figured out... Uh, Which quick, cards to get rid of. Right. To trim it down to a, a reasonable 40-card deck. So, essentially, Jengis could... St- he'd have to start with the 60 for the first game against his round two opponent. But in the second game, he could sideboard out... Into a, the 40-card card deck. Uh, and we made, a, we made a bit of a... At that point, I'd already gone 0-2 in the first round. So, I mean, and he was exhausted yes. and cranky. I wasn't. I don't know about cranky, but it was, he was cranky. Um, we made a we made a stipulation uh, for the next round. I, I had to win. Uh, I had to win, and two one was acceptable. But if it was two one, I had to have won with the sixty card deck, and then also win when I sideboarded into forty. That way, at least I know I could survive because I didn't have to always rely on losing the first round and winning the next two game. rounds. Uh, game yeah. that round. Yeah, game. You're right. Thank you. Uh, but didn't matter. I went one and two, um, but and I won actually with the forty card deck. So it did. I left after the second round, How which did- you shouldn't have. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. Jengis' cards had synergy. My cards, on the other hand. How did you do, David? I didn't stay for the whole. Uh, I didn't stay for the whole thing. So, uh, you know, you you had a you had a pretty interesting setup. I, I made a a, a black green delirium delirium deck. So I, I I wanted to discard cards and I wanted to make creatures ridiculous. I also had a little bit of a zombie thing, but not really. Yeah, I uh, I made Boros Boros aggro. Um, so red white cards and you know tried to get small creatures out and use combat tricks and try to win that way but I'll, I'll tell you what Jengis though he messed up with his 60 cards I think could have had a real shot because he had so many so many black and green cards he was able to actually make a 60 card deck and so 40 cards I really feel like would have been definitely in your favor me on the other hand I could barely make a 40 card deck out of the spread that I got I mean even the person that was uh, he ended up ended up, he ended up being my round two opponent, but the person that was registering my cards couldn't just believe how wide of of a spread I had. Like I just had no synergy. I I, I pulled no mythics, so I had no big bombs. The best card I had in my deck was actually the uh, Hanware Garrison, which is the one half of the meld card. It's the creature part of it that it's like a three two, and when it attacks you put two human tokens that are 1-1s tapped and attacking. I didn't get the other part to meld with it, but I got that. I also got Thalia's Lancers, which would have been really nice if I had a legendary, but I had no legendary. The le- I, actually, it's a lie. I pulled a Mythic. I pulled Jiza and Geralt, but I had no blue-black zombies or really blue-black cards at all to support So you were just support all it. over the place. and It was all over the place. I won my first round, went 2-0, and thought, oh, hey, 
Maybe it's not so I bad. This. <laughs> My second round, I went one and two. No, that's a lie. I went zero oh and two. I just, I got really close to beating him in the first game. He was mm-hmm. at one life. So I thought, all right, at least I have a fighting chance. But then in my third round, this is after Jengis had left, is where things really started to crumble. Because here's how here's how it worked. If I got into the top eight, I got to go into the winner's pool draft. And then so I still had a shot at doing really well in the tournament. And to get into the top eight, all I needed to do was win three of the five rounds. I needed to be, you know, I needed to win yeah. three of my five rounds. And I won one. So I had a chance, even after losing the second round. Mm-hmm. The third round, for whatever godforsaken reason, I got paired up. So I got paired, even though I was, in terms of my overall wins, I was one and one. Mm-hmm. I got paired with somebody who had won the first two rounds, was two and oh. I got paired up. How is that possible? I guess maybe my overall record or who I played. I don't know what it was that paired me up. It could have just been really awful, shitty luck. <laughs> no good luck. Just like my pro that day. that one. <laughs> I got paired up, and not just versus anyway anybody. I got paired up versus a gentleman who pulled out of the six packs. I think pulled like five mythics. Oh my god! Yeah, one of them was hollow. How is that even possible? They shuffled the packs, pulled like five mythics, and and not only shuffling packs. One was a hollow, and one was a transform. Because the transform cards are like a yeah. separate rarity. They don't, they don't count as right. for the pack. So, yeah, it was like five mythics, four of which were on color. And those colors were bent because one of the mythics was Tamiyo. Wow. So on color, that blue, sucks. green, white. <laughs> and it was like like pulled Gisela, pulled Tamiyo, pulled like a couple other things. And he just, I just couldn't. I couldn't match that. It was control until like a bomb came out and I just, I didn't have the resources in my deck to combat that. So I was really pissed because I got paired up and I I was like, if I had just been paired versus somebody that had the same record as me, maybe I would have had a better shot. Like that was just like the worst thing to face. I had a horrible pull, horrible pool of cards to choose from. This guy had an amazing pool. It sucked. But I decided, I was like, you know what? If I can just win the next round, Mm -hmm. then I can stick it all in round five. And maybe, like, people are dropping. Maybe I'll get in the top eight. Yeah. Round four comes. I faced a guy. We went one and one. And then I just lost on the last one. And it's just, once again, he just had, he was running Boros, like me. But he just had better synergy. Mm -hmm. His cards were, he had a better pool of cards to choose from. And had what he needed, and I just didn't. That's and rather unfortunate. Dude. I was really upset. So, head held low. <laughs> I walked in shame, dropped, and left the tournament. Still, all in all, had fun. I always have fun. Even when I lose, I'm having fun. But I can't say that I was happy with the tournament events that day. I wish, you know, in some, I always say this, in some ways, limited is the most fair. Yeah. In terms of decks and and what you're facing because your competition is not based on account of money like you don't have to have money or you don't have to own the right cards to play in limited because everybody's getting cards that day but in other ways is also sometimes it's it's just all luck so it can also be the most unfair because sometimes you just don't pull what you need and sometimes people just pull crazy shenanigans that was our iq experience that's right and that'll do it for our magic segment. So, starting off our D&D segment, I want to talk a little bit about the importance of embellishing. 
embellishing. Yeah. I mean, not like that, but yeah. <laughs> I think when you role play. Just general embellishment? I mean, I yeah. Not just general. I mean, okay. My thoughts mostly are on combat. But even in general role playing, mm-hmm. it's the little things that really keep the story alive for everybody. Remember that when, when you play Dungeons & Dragons, it is a collective storytelling game at its core. Yes. You know, it is we're not all, something... We're all playing pretend. Right. <laughs> but it's not something... It doesn't, it doesn't need dice. It doesn't need rules. It doesn't need anything but you and your imagination. Mm-hmm. And the ability to... Don't even... I will stab you. <laughs> um, you just need... To be able to be willing to be a part of a story. But like any story, embellishment is important, but too much can be... Excessive? <laughs> that would be a synonym of too much, it would I be. guess. But it would be... Um, it would detract, I think, from the enjoyment. You don't yeah. want to sit there for five minutes telling me the exact position and how gracefully you move your my, hand. My blade, sharp as always, glinting in the moonlight. I move forward so silently, silently like death itself, as I move up towards the guardsman. The guardsman unaware, thinking about other things, his wife at home, his children, while I move up and get closer to his... Anyways... I mean, you kind of took over the role of both player and DM there, but I, I uh, actually even that I don't think was jokingly. I don't even think that was too much. Yeah, probably. I just think I think actually I think that was probably the right amount. I mean, it was ridiculous <laughs> the embellishment. You want to make good embellishment, not poor choices. But I think I think it just adds something else. And I and I'm not just saying like you know like a lot of people. There's a door at the end of a hallway. What do you say to the DM? You say, we I could- walk up to the door. I open the door. Yeah. Yeah, simple. You, you that's, can. That's fine. You can do that. I'm not saying you can. I'm just saying, if you're telling a story, you're creating a mental picture for everybody in the game, and I just think it adds a little something. It doesn't have to be long. It can just be simple as like you know, I very slowly tiptoe to the door, and gently, with as little strength as possible, I turn the knob. Yeah. And I push it open, ever so lightly, like that's a very different way of op- than I just open the door or I open the door carefully. Like you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like. It just adds it. You you have a stronger picture. Yeah, it 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 makes it. I mean, like to me, I always like to think of playing D and D. I like to think of it like a movie that I'm watching mm-hmm. and I'm also a part of. And like that way, it makes the scene more vivid. You know, for exactly. Sure. Uh, it makes it more like you can, like I can really picture it in my head. It makes it also more memorable. Yeah, totally. Uh, because remember it, when he carefully, gently opened that door? Yeah, I remember it like yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was careful as hell. <laughs> careful AF. <laughs> um, but yeah, I like I I, I appreciate it. Is when players do it, and when the when the GM is also more descriptive. Um, and I think that combat is one of those things that really can either suffer or greatly improve because of embellishment. Mm-hmm. I mean, this has been this has been a part of like the embellishment of combat has been something that's been there since three or even probably before since the beginning yeah really yeah. i mean because because so, a lot of times you just read the rules and just be like you roll this you deal this much damage it's that's partly <laughs> why people hated i mean there was many reasons why people hated fourth edition but the way fourth edition combat worked it 
told you exactly what it was you were doing. You never wanted to just swing your sword or try like doing something interesting or unique. It was like, I use my at-will power. Mm -hmm. I use my encounter power. Yeah. Like it took the choice and the freedom. It was, it was very restrictive. Um, but yeah, I think a little embellishment in combat can go a long way by both player and DM. Yeah. I think it's up to the player to say how they're designing the attack. Obviously you cannot, you don't control the game as a player. You can't say at, like at the end of whatever your embellishment is, however you're going to strike your sword. Maybe, all right, I'll give, I'll give an example. If I'm in the middle of combat with a goblin, I'm, I'm smack in the middle. We're fighting. We're duking it out. Maybe on my turn, I say, Goddamn goblin. I arc my bastard sword back and I bring it down from high to low trying to chop across his chest mm -hmm. simple easy good picture much better than me saying i swing my sword at him yeah for sure right while saying i swing my sword at him will definitely increase the flow of combat and make it quicker that little extra bit i think makes combat more interesting mm -hmm. as a player i can't say that i'm going to hit him i can't say how the goblin will react but i think the dm if if given a tidbit if, if the person says i'll swing my sword the dm should try and help with the visual anyway but if someone gives the DM a tidbit, I think it's the DM's job to then say, based on roles and everything else, how that then is affected. So if that was what I got as a DM, then I would perhaps respond for the goblin. Maybe they missed the goblin. I would say, as your overarching swing comes down, the goblin swiftly steps slightly to the right. Your swing just barely missing the goblin and landing on the floor next to him. The goblin peers at you smiling as he takes a return attack, yeah. stabbing at your chest. Like, there you go. It gives more. You, it's like... It feels alive. Yeah. It feels real. I uh, think that's very important. I, I agree. I like to... When I'm not um, exhausted, I like to... I like to role play a lot more. And like, for instance, I think in the most recent game we played, um, you know, when when I was, you know, we were coming to a YouTube near you yeah. sometime, sometime <laughs> soon, TM, um, <laughs> uh, we were fighting on a bridge and, uh, you know, I, I was fighting on against someone. It was a very tough foe, you know, and it's like you, you can banter back and forth with like the. With the, DM, with the DM, and it's fun. And it's like you enjoy it because, like, you know, he, he tries to hit you with the attack, but he misses, and you block it. And then you say, you know, you know not today. And then you swing, and you get a stupid crit. And it's like, and it, like, it feels more like, you know, and, like, you rain thunderous blows upon his men's section. It's like, you know, there's, there's makes more. Makes you feel good. It makes you feel good. It gives, it gives you an adrenaline boost. Like, you feel that, like, yeah, I'm in it. I'm fighting. I'm really doing it. <laughs> it's me in there. I'm doing it, Peter. I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Bangarang. Bangarang. <laughs> I love that movie. Uh, I, I agree. And I think that. Sometimes people either take embellishment for granted or they just don't use it. They mm -hmm. don't think of it. I mean, don't get me wrong. Sometimes you play a D&D game late. Sometimes your head might not be in it. Sometimes you just want to get through the combat. So, yeah, maybe you just say, I swing a sword. I cast a spell. Maybe it's like your third combat against two derpy goblins. Right. <laughs> but even if you don't want to embellish, like Jengus was saying, maybe even give uh, a one-liner. Even if it's campy or quippy. Like, you know... What does the god of death say? What do you say to the god of death? 
not today. And then I throw my magic missiles at him. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, like, even, that like just... even that is enough to, I may have not described my magic missiles or the motions of my hands or the waving of my robes, but at least my one liner was enough to keep, it was its own embellishment, its it own was. garnish to keep, you know, the, keep the game alive. Exactly. And make it, everyone just like, you know, I think it really does affect the, the morale of the table. It's not for you. As I said, it's collective storytelling. So what you're doing is for the people who are listening to your part of the story. Like, you wouldn't want to read Harry Potter if Harry Potter was born to shit. <laughs> Harry Potter points his wand at Malfoy. He casts a spell. It hits. <laughs> it's a crit. <laughs> Malfoy dies. Oh, wait. Snape heals him. Oh, wait. It's Snape's spell. Snape is the half-blood prince. The end. Spoilers. Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh but yeah you know what i mean like you it's for other people it's not to make yourself necessarily seem a cool which it can it can make you seem really cool for sure um especially if the roles are with you you know you say you want you say you want to flip around your opponent to his back that's why i I never embellish until after the roles (laughs) (laughs) oh i I always do it before because if i botch i want the embellishment to go horribly wrong (laughs) you know um but yeah, it's it's for other people. It's to keep the game alive for everybody, to have everybody join in and see what you see. Because even though in your mind, your portion of the combat may be very clear. You might say, I swing my sword at it. And in your mind, you're seeing the way, the exact position you're swinging your sword, what the monster's doing back at you. And you see this. To everybody else, it's, it's different. Or maybe they just don't care because you didn't care enough to kind of take the time to say what it is that you were actually doing, like really detailed. But at the same time, as Jengis and I were kind of saying... Too much can detract from oh, the yeah. enjoyment of the game. Like you, if, we, if you're in the middle of combat, you don't you don't want to be like same example. I'm fighting a goblin. I'm gonna steal from you a little bit, Jengis. That's fine. As my sword glints in the moonlight, I raise it up, thinking of the gods that are with me. I look at my sword quickly. All in this moment, this six seconds that I have, <laughs> as my hand raises, arching up to the sky, fist like iron, as my sword reaches back and comes slashing down, the wind whipping off of it, the goblin looking dead at me as I arc it down across its chest. I see the beads of sweat on the goblin's face, the beads of sweat on my. Like, by this point, People are going to punch you <laughs> because they just want to finish the combat. Like really just much. while it may have been entertaining, and while it may have been like, "Oh, where's this going?" Like that was one swing <laughs> I in was, combat. I was hoping you'd be like, as my sword raised up in the air, I look upon it. I realize my arm is complete when I am holding it. <laughs> you know, I mean, sometimes all it takes is a barbarian yelling "Tempest," and that's, that's enough. Right. That's enough. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. Our message, I guess, for this section of D&D is... Is have fun, kids. Have fun, (laughs) you wisecracking kids, you. Um, Embellish. Enjoy. Enjoy each other's company. You don't have to go crazy like we are. You know, like, you you can just... A little bit. Like, you know, just... You could do whatever you're comfortable with, you know? That's the important thing. Yeah, be comfortable. But at the same time, like, realize that it is... It is a story. Mm -hmm. Um, Next up in our D&D section... We're going to talk about the Unearthed Arcana of the month. <laughs> if you want to call it Unearthed Arcana, I would call it We Were Lazy and On Vacation. Don't bother us. Right. Even the even the formatting of the whole thing, it's missing artwork and like it's, 
I mean, not, not all in Arthur Connors. But like, it, I don't even think the shading is right, and the boxes look off. The yeah. fonts aren't even that snappy. They, like, uh, they definitely. I think that it's definitely one. I mean, not to not for you know, not to like dash on it, but they phoned it in a little yeah, bit. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> They're like, here, they, here's here's a little a little something. Here's um, something that was actually cut from the player's handbook, and uh, we'll just throw it in there. It'll be on Arthur Connors. It is a random NPC maker. Not even no, not a random NPC maker. A random. PC maker. Oh, I guess you get technically you can make PCs with it. Excuse me. It is not an NPC maker. It is technically an either PC or NPC maker. It just makes a character. Now, this isn't new by no. any means. They've done this. Other systems have done this. They've done this in past uh, versions. You know, this is just so, like I said. I feel like this was something they cut from the player's handbook or DM's guide, and right. just like you know, uh, here you go, here you go. <laughs> um, but it's essentially they're calling it. The reason they're saying they needed it was because, let's say you want to make a character on the fly. You want to play a game of Dungeons and Dragons. Anyone will tell you that character creation, depending on your skill level of the game, can be a very long time. You know, yeah, for, for sure, you to, there's a lot of decisions to make, and right? And you don't know all the. If you don't know everything about about Dungeons and Dragons, you might know you not be informed enough to make all the decisions. Uh, you might not have, you know, there might be decisions that you just aren't aware, aren't informed enough about, and like you, but you want to play soon. Exactly. Yeah. Um, now, I recommend something that I use is Hero Lab. Um, Hero Lab, I've been using for a while now. Um, they have tons of different systems besides Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, they have Pathfinder on there. They have fourth and fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons, Shadowrun. Uh, um, what are some other things? Uh, I think they had Pathfinder. Pa- I said think did I say Pathfinder? Pathfinder. If I didn't, uh, D twenty Modern. A um, couple other things. Derps. Yeah. Savage Worlds. Yes. Point being is, Hero Lab is a character generator and. There's the basic rules, obviously, that they're you know legally allowed to put in there for Dungeons and Dragons, and it does cost money. Um, I think it's like thirty dollars for the fifth edition. But what's great is user content can be to the core of Hero Lab is outside of the restrictions of because not anything you actually pay for, right? So users, quote unquote, on their forums have. All of the player's handbook and the DM's guide and the monster manual. So you can essentially effectively get a very, very pre, well-pre-built character generator with Hero Lab. I bring this up because you can make a character with Hero Lab. I mean, can it take you a while? Sure. If you want to put a lot of forethought into it, you can take as much time as you want. But with a couple clicks of your mouse, your character can be made in 10 minutes flat. Maybe even less. But, um, but, but if you don't have it... You can use this guide... Um, so really every aspect of your character, you can roll a die of some sort. Like for instance, alignment, roll a d6. Uh, they didn't put the evil alignments on there, but you can roll, you know, 1d6. One is a lawful good, two is neutral good, three is chaotic good, so on and so forth. Uh, background, these are just the basic backgrounds, uh, you know, from the player's handbook. Uh, Class race spells. Yeah, everything. everything. Even, even down to like... What cl- what spells your cleric takes? You can roll randomly and generate it. Um, you know your your fighter's fighting style. So it's all there. Um, some things aren't rolled, but it makes sense that they're not rolled, like wealth and stuff like that, or like what your character starts with. Um, but that's really just minor. Uh, 
But yeah, it's like like we said, it's just if you if you have if you like say you're just starting like you just popped into a random game, you're like, Oh, I don't have a character made, oh, we'll just roll one up for you real quick. It's definitely something you could do. Right. Uh, it's nice that, it's nice that they made it, you know. Exactly. <laughs> Which brings us to our last segment of D and D, we're returning to our wonderful random NPC game. <laughs> Woo! That's weird. Uh, a little. <laughs> yeah, we thought this would be a perfect time to do random NPCs because now we have the name generator on the DM screen that Fifth Edition created, and now we can figure out what their class is. Um, we might add a number of the die and figure out what the alignment is. As well as... You know, uh, you know what's funny is that they didn't even include all the classes. No, it's just Cleric, Fighter, Rogue, <laughs> It's just Wizard. the ones from the basic rule set that they have online. Yep. And we're going to just create some random NPCs. And then just like last time, how this works is we roll who they are. Uh, and I guess what their class is and what their race is and their alignment. So name, class, race, alignment. And then whoever rolled it. Jangus or myself will then create a story describing this character. And once again, you can use these characters in your own campaigns, should you so choose. Or you can just have fun listening to us try and create who the hell these people are. So, um, I guess I'll go first. Get yeah, this go set ahead, up buddy. here. A little jingle jangle going on in the background. With <laughs> iPads and dice and everything else. All right. So, gonna go. I'm gonna need. Oh man, I'm gonna need a whole bunch of dice. Hey, all the dice. Hand me those those dice right over there. We'll borrow Rocco's. You mean these dice? Fully work. <laughs> Fully work. Those aren't even dice. He's rolling. Those are just pieces of rocks. That's right. This is all stage. We thought of these characters beforehand. These aren't random at all. It'll be very evident shortly. <laughs> Everything he's saying is obviously not the case. All right. So, starting with the name. I gotta try and remember all this information. Uh, uh, the name of the NPC I will be doing twenty. Nat twenty. Nat 20. So Va. Whoa, off the table. Eight is Kel. And four I Vakelai. Vakelai, who is a let's go with the D twelve here. Vakelai is a human. And Let's see. The class of Vakeli is he is a human fighter. Okay, <laughs> how standard? <laughs> how very very standard? Who is? I should add. We're gonna go to a D eight, and we're just gonna get rid of plain neutral. Chaotic good. Vakeli. 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 The chaotic good human fighter. <laughs> how- how standard. How standard NPC. <laughs> Vakeli was a small town boy. Uh, came from a little village. Uh, didn't have much aspirations in life, but wanted to make money for his poor family. And one day a group of goblins came and raided the town. The local hero uh, helped dispatch the goblins. And during the scuffle, a young 11-year-old Vakeli picked up a sword and managed to kill a goblin of his own only partially wounded in the process. Impressed by the innate swordsmanship that this young man had, the this folk hero, this uh, senpai, and <laughs> ended up training Vakeli in the art of the sword. 
Vekelai then, at, at his 18th year, decided to leave the village and go explore the world and see what it meant to be a real hero. And adventured, going to all the great places that he knew of the world and looked for jobs to help gain him experience in both life and treasure. In other words, he played Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> and that is the story of Vekelai. I'm surprised he wasn't a farmer. <laughs> so what would you call the story of Vekelai? Oh... Uh, Vekelai, the movie, Road to Ninja. <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons 4, Vekelai. <gasps> All right. All right, my turn. Uh, 11? Key. Key. 5. Gran. Key Gran. 8. R. Kigranar. 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 Kigranar, who is the D12? Let's see the race. <laughs> it's heavily weighted to make him human, by the way. Oh, yeah. Uh, That's cock. Reroll. Okay. Three. The high elf. High elf. Ki. What was it again? Kigranar. Kigranar, the high elf. I have to repeat it. I have to repeat it or I'll forget. I also have to talk closer to my mic. Um, Kigranar, the High Elf. Cocked again. Kigranar, Come on, buddy. The High Elf 3. Fighter. Of course. <laughs> Kigranar, the High Elf fighter. With the alignment of... <laughs> 7. Which would be... Neutral Evil. <laughs> Kigranar, the High Elf fighter. Who is Neutral Evil. Yes. Jesus. Um, <laughs> whoo. Hmm. Okay. High elf. High elf. High elf. <laughs> Neutral evil fighter. Okay. Kigranar. Uh, all right. Neutral evil, though. <laughs> Neutral evil. <laughs> that's such like, that's so weird. It's, all right. Um, Kigranar, the neutral evil high elf fighter. Um, Kigranar grew up in High Elven society, like all High Elves, uh, you know, secluded in a High Elven city, high, lofty in the you mountains. You used High Elf eight times in that sentence. You got it. <laughs> you um, are stalling. <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> um, in a lofty city, uh, he grew among, like, nobility, but he never had a knack for magic. He never had a knack for scholarly efforts, which many High Elves were fond of. But he was more of a brute for High Elf standards. A fighter, would you say? Perhaps. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, he knew his way around weaponry. He, he, could, he, he bullied all the other High Elven uh, nerds, he would say. <laughs> <laughs> um, clearly an outcast in his society. He... Um, he he actually broke into the university at an older age and he came upon and he, he tried to find the most valuable thing he could so he could sell it and make money and he came upon an ancient orb and when he held the orb it told him of a, a, a destiny an evil destiny <laughs> <laughs> that he would rule all the high elves with an iron fist and he set forth to make sure that destiny becomes a reality. And I will call that Kigranar. Something, something, dark side. <laughs> something, something. <laughs> All right. 
Next up, uh, let's see. Ten. Joe. 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 Twelve is Pen. Jopen. Jopen. Fifteen. Id. Joe Penned. Joe Penned. Joe Penned. It's Joe Penned. <laughs> it's okay, Peter. It's just... <laughs> Joe Penned is also neutral evil. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, Joe Penned is a neutral evil wizard. <laughs> Joe Penned is a neutral evil wizard and is of the human persuasion. <laughs> Joe Penned. All right. So... Joe Pennant always wanted to be a red wizard of Thay. Oh. Yes. If you don't have Thay in your campaigns or red wizards, then just say, always wanted to be a standard evil wizard. Had aspirations to be a necromancer. Because when he was younger, the love of his life, who spurned him constantly, but he chased after anyway, was tired, so tired of his extreme aggressive advances she took her own life oh no and this this could not satiate the desires and lusts of joe pennant so he decided to set out on the path of reclaiming her body this is dark this is dark through necromancy along the way faced with several decisions that would alter the course of the people around him whether they be good or bad he cared not for the petty squabbles of the mortal realm. He just chased his one obsession constantly till the day he could at last be reunited with the woman who he calls his love, despite whatever she would call him, like creepy stalker necromancy guy. That is the story of Joe Pennant. I would call that uh, The Corpse Bride, directed by Guillermo del Toro. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. All right, go for it, buddy. Four. Four is nothing, so this is going to be a two-syllable name. Ah, finally. One. Bar. Bar. If you get another one, his name is just Bar. I wish. Six. Six. M. Barum. Bottom. Bottom. I hope he's a dwarf. He's probably going to be a high elf. (laughs) Start, yeah, go with the uh, D12. Eight. Human. Reroll. I'm tired of humans. Okay. We roll the six. We're getting rid of humans for this roll. Getting rid of humans. Four. Wood elf. Wood elf. <laughs> That's actually a bit more believable. Bottom. The wood elf. Uh... Bottom. The wood elf. Fighter. <laughs> Reroll. Okay. We've had too many of those today. Four. Wizard. Bottom. The wood elf. Wizard. Wood elf. Wizard. But what alignment is he? Neutral evil. <laughs> Let's find out. Five. Five. Bottom the lawful. Nope. Chaotic neutral. What did you roll? Five. Five. Yeah. Bottom the chaotic neutral wizard wood elf. Bottom the chaotic root neutral wood elf wizard. Woo 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 woo. The woo woo <laughs> wee woo. Woo woo wee woo. Bottom being a wood elf. He lived in the nature with the rest of his wood elf kind. In the woods? In the woods! Great! <laughs> um, while most of his people set out to be clerics of nature or druids, he decided he wanted to become a wizard of nature. Very unusual. Many people do not seek this path. But he found himself to become more inclined to not just nature, but weather. So 
he found he found that his control over clouds and rain and storms was beyond that of any of his other his other uh, fellow students uh, of of wizardry of Wood Elf Wizard Academy Wood Elf Wizard Academy um, the Woo Academy <laughs> the Woo Woo Wee Woo Academy <laughs> one day. A great, terrible storm started approaching the, <gasps> the forest. Gasp. Uh, lightning struck a bit of a dead, barren area, and fire <gasps> spread throughout the forest. Fire. And then, <laughs> then Barum had to had to summon all of his might to summon a massive deluge from the sky. And he, after ridding the, ta- the the wood elves of their of the fire, he decided he had to use his nature power. For neutral things, <laughs> chaotic. <laughs> he he decided he wanted he wanted to have more fun with nature and <laughs> and he's neutral and storms. He's so a he went agent. out to the world and just did whatever he wanted. Yeah. With <laughs> what would you call that movie? <laughs> I would call that Bottom Begins. <laughs> oh Jesus! All right, my last one. Last one. Here we go. Name is De D E De Rond Derond Derond and sixteen sixteen Ooh, I hope he's an elf. Oh, he's probably not gonna be. Probably gonna be like a half. He's gonna be a dwarf. Derondil. All right, which actually isn't. We're getting into human for this one again. Derondil, the stout halfling. Okay. All right. Wow. As it was foretold, Durandil. Get rid of fighter or are you gonna keep fighter? Uh I'll keep it. Durandil, the stout halfling rogue. Okay. <laughs> okay. Synergy. Like yeah. it. I like it. The stout You're maxing. There we go. <laughs> Durandil, the chaotic good stout halfling rogue. I'd like this character already. I do too. I might play this character someday. <laughs> Alright. Durandil. Durandil. As a stout halfling, um, grew up in a big city, but with, I won't even say meager means. No, you know what? Durandil was part of a noble house of halflings, but never satisfied with just getting the easy way of things. Durandil would take to the streets in form of beggars and peasants, if only to lift the change and to steal from the pockets of the other nobles and high members of of society. Very Robin Hood-esque, giving these same things he would steal to the people in need, because after all, being a noble, he did not not ever need for anything. He never wanted for anything. Very Robin Hood-esque. Very. (laughs) Using these impressive sleight-of-hand skills, Durandil, unfortunately, one day was caught trying to lift the coin purse of the mayor of the town. Literally the coin purse, like not the like, testicles. Like, I was going to say. <laughs> Do not get confused. That is a very different story. Now, Durandil, unfortunately caught, was surprised by the mayor's reaction and almost disgusted. He doesn't know whether or not because it was he it was a noble and because that's what gave him leniency, but the mayor did not punish him, at least not traditionally. Instead of putting this... Hats, what would you call him? Scallion, Rapscallion. Yes. Into vagrant, the vagrant into jail or prison. He insisted that Durandil use his skills in the field of battle as a scout. 
because he thought that if this child truly wanted to learn how hard things could be, he should be right in the front lines. And that is the beginning of Durandil. We call that the other half of the story, Durandil's Tale. Nice. <laughs> All right, the last one, Jengis. Let's do it. Five. Ah. Ah. A strong start. Or possibly A. Two. Ch- ched, or possibly Ched. Ched. <laughs> Twenty. Twenty. Us. Achedus. Achedus. <laughs> or possibly a Chedus. I like a Chedus better. I like a Chedus better. Get the ch. Ch. I rolled a d6. Achedus is d6, so we'll go down the race, is the mountain dwarf. Ah, Achedus. Achedus, the mountain dwarf. Put a little bit more of a Scottish ilk on it. Achedus. Achedus. Uh, four. The mountain dwarf wizard. <laughs> I feel like we've done too many wizards. Reroll. There's only one more choice. Well, you know what? Achedus, the mountain dwarf cleric. <laughs> <laughs> that was rolled. It was actually rolled. <laughs> Who is of the alignment? Achedus is three. We've done chaotic good too many times. Give me something else. I mean, everyone does chaotic good. Two. Neutral good. Neutral good. Achedus, the Achedus neutral good mountain dwarf cleric. Cleric. Okay. Neutral good. Though. Neutral good. Uh, mountain Dwarf Cleric, Achedus. Achedus. Achedus was a disciple of the the head priest of... Uh, Moradin. Moradin, yes. Achedus was the disciple of the head priest of Moradin. Or Dumathoin. <laughs> Moradin. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, uh, he, he, was, he was a bit more, more burly among the, because Moradin is the god of the forge. So... Forging is part of being part of being a disciple of Moradin is being able to f- create. <laughs> it's being big and burly. Yes, and also a cleric. Um, so you're wise. <laughs> um, so, so far we have big, burly, and wise. <laughs> at one night, he was met with a vision while he was asleep. Moradin himself came to him in a dream, and he said to him, I want you to forge me a sword made from a star and then when he woke up he was in the middle of the night he looked out into his window uh, from the mountain and he saw a falling star off in the distance and that's when he realized he must go find that star and forge a sword for Muradin and that that's a very short tale but I think that's a pretty much a good place to stop it sure I'll call that twinkle twinkle little Achedis <laughs> <laughs> well done thank was, you there you go <laughs> nice job uh, so moving into our last section board games board games uh, this month's new board game newer board game I should say you know as opposed to our retro board games is Seven Wonders Duel yes it is the two player for, uh, two player version of Seven Wonders which is normally can go up to seven players but this one is specifically designed to be played with two people, a duel. Has a small little board elongated to represent the military conflict, as well as it holds some boons. And then there's a bunch of cards. Cards of the wonders you can build, as well as the resources that you can obtain. Yes. Um, you each play a city, 
and you are building the city, you're building various buildings in your city that either net you resources, victory points, uh, res- uh, like science. All, all very Greco-Roman. Yeah. Science or military strength. Um, the, the way you win, there's three ways to win the game. Uh, the first way is every time you get a military, they come with little shield icons. And each shield pushes the military marker towards your opponent's city. Your military force is marching upon and attacking the the opposing city. Uh, And if you reach all the way to the end, you win. But while you're doing this, your opponent is also picking up military buildings to try to push you back. Right. Um, You can also win through a science victory, and the, the science buildings all have a symbol on them, and there's seven different symbols. If you collect one of each symbol, you win the game. Showing that you've reached scientific superiority over your opponent. Yep. Um, and then there's a if you don't win by there's three fa- there's three ages act, ages. There's the um, first age, the second age, and the third age. Mm-hmm. And the buildings get more complex as the ages go on. Uh, if you reach the end of the third age and you haven't won by by either military or science, you win what's called a, you have to determine a civilian victory. And that's pretty much whoever has the most victory points, and they're determined through various means. Victory points mainly determined through the cards you have gained or the places that you have built. Mm -hmm. Now, there's several different, you know, obviously little minute ways in which you can gain victory points. But that's the basic structure of the game. Jenks and I have played one and a half games of this. So far, it is fairly new, and I, I got to say, I've, I've I had a lot of fun playing. We both um, took to it pretty quickly. The rules, once you know how the basis goes... I mean, granted, Jengis and I, like, if you couldn't tell from the fact that you're listening to us right now, we are, in fact, board game people. <laughs> so this may be an overestimation, but we feel yes. that the rules were very intuitive. Yes. We, we did have to refer to a rule book for a couple of symbols that we didn't, just wasn't apparent. Um, but in terms of the play style of the game, it was like it was very, almost like as Jengis was reading the rules, I was literally spitting out the next rule in line mm-hmm. to him. But it's very quick. Um, you you pick up buildings. Brown buildings are resources. They let you, the resources let you build more things because some buildings have a cost. But in the it's very it's very quick. It's back and forth. You can buy things with. Currency. It is a duel. Yeah, it is back. It's a duel. Uh, it's very. Uh, I, I felt there was lots of strategy involved. Oh yeah, um, I'm already thinking of different ways. Actually, you know, it's funny. We played, so we wanted to play this uh, a couple nights ago when we when we ended up playing that mage net I talked about earlier in the episode. Just before uh, our buddy Chris got here, uh, we wanted to make sure that we got in a game of duel. We only got halfway through the game and we ended up stopping because we wanted. You know, mage night takes an ungodly long amount of time, and in that game, that duel game, I definitely feel like I would have lost. Because I was still developing strategy for it, but it was so easy. It was it's such a quick pickup that I was able to develop strategies very early in that first game that I then employed in the second game that ended up working really mm-hmm. well. Simple things like I would suggest to those new players. Um, one thing you can do is there are, like like we said there are different resources you can get. There are, there's wood, there's stone, there's clay, um, there's glass, and, and there's parchment. parchment. You get them by picking up these cards that, you you know, you, you you go turn by turn. Each person gets to pick up a card and then do something with it. And there's different actions you can take with them. But mainly that's how you're going to get your resources. But the other way is just through money. Um, you start with seven coins. And then you can gain and lose money throughout the game in various ways. But for at any time on your turn, if you need a resource, you can pay the standard price of two 
and then plus an increased amount based on the number of resources of that kind that your opponent currently has. So Jengis has two wood, I need wood, and I want to pay for it, that's four wood. But something I noticed in our first game that we didn't get through was there are these special cards, these orange or yellow cards, however you want to look at them, that have um, a stipulation that say for the rest of the game, as long as you possess this card, this resource will only ever cost you one coin. And it was very readily apparent to me in our first half, the game that we didn't finish, mm -hmm. that those cards were incredible. Because I just knew that... It's kind of there. There's a game of chance to this as well because not only are you dealing out the cards randomly, and some cards aren't even in the game, they get burned beforehand. But there's also the, the cards are set up in a certain way, so you can only take certain cards at a certain time, and some of them are face down and don't get revealed until you're already in the game. So your strategy might have to change on the fly. So what I realized was I couldn't rely on getting the resources I was going to need through cards. So if I found one of those orange cards, I wanted it because I wanted to make sure that no matter how much of a resource you got that I didn't get through dumb luck of the draw, that I could only have to pay one. And Jengis will tell you, one of the first things I did in the first stage is I got my stone and my uh, my clay. I got the two cards that said I only had to pay one for both of yeah. those. There's comboing we found out. Yeah. We had a really ridiculous combo <laughs> in there. It's uh, each building. Some buildings have, not all, but some buildings have an icon in the early, like the first age, they have an icon on the top right that's uh, like, for instance, the theater. Yeah. Or, yeah, the theater would have a, a like drama a, mask. Yeah, it's a drama mask. Uh, later on, the other ages, there will be cards that have underneath the cost the same symbol. If you have a card that has the first symbol, you can get the second one for free. Even if you don't have the resources. Yeah. And that's pretty powerful because some of those are later on can be pretty good. Oh, I, I also forgot to mention those orange cards I was talking about. The great thing about them is is one of the ways in which you gain money is instead of taking a card for its resource or its victory point or whatever it does, you can instead essentially discard the card on your turn. And instead of taking it, you just take it and discard it and you gain money. And the money that you gained is equal to two plus the number of orange cards that you have. So those cards not only can... Uh, decrease the cost of your resources having enough of them just means a payday anytime you want it mm -hmm. and and it's also discarding a card is also very strategic because if you know someone wants something or if you want to deny someone like you know if I see that I'm building a military strength and I see like a three coming up like and then it comes up to me and I can take it I could also discard it so that Dave doesn't even get the three right uh, like, or if, the, or if there was like there was a point in the game where my military had been going towards Jengis' side of the board a little too far, I think, than he liked. And that exact situation happened. A military card came up. He could have played it and pushed it back one or two no, spaces. No, I don't think I could have afforded it. That's what it was. But I knew even, you could even afford if he, it. Even if he could have... Well, I mean, I think you still would have burned it because yeah, I think it was just the, for sure. the good idea. But yes, he's correct. And that's um, another strategy. If you can't pay for any of the cards that are currently available to you, figure out what your opponent needs and burn that card. Yeah. So, you know, and it's quick. It's a quick game. The game went like, it says 30 minutes. I think we pretty much got that. I think, yeah, yeah it was about 30 minutes. And that, you know, that's it. And the setup is not that bad because it's all cards. There's not a lot of, like, pieces to set up. It's all just, like, laying out cards and picking them up. Not something you want to play outside on a windy day, though. No, not at all. Uh, this is definitely an indoor game. Yep. Uh, but all in all, and there's also a wonder. Uh, there's, like. The wonders are the, th one the things that we were talking about. That's what you build. Yeah, they have, like pretty significant boons on them some let you take another turn some let you 
kill one of your opponent's uh, resource cards, which can be pretty powerful late game. Um, and let you deny your opponents money in some kind. Some or, give you money. Yeah, it's, and, it's but they, and they all have a victory point cost, uh, victory points on them too. Some, yeah. I mean, it was it's a lot of fun. Um, I got a ridiculous combo in the game we just played. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was something I was not expecting. So when you do the science, um, how it works is normally there's five science boons at the top of the little game board, and when you get two science cards that have the same symbol, you are allowed to pick from one of those boons. Uh, and each boon does something different in some way. However, one of my wonders, as Jenga said, they all have different abilities. One of my wonders allowed me to draw three boons that weren't in the game. That were, like we said, that's, there's more than what's in the game. They're, they were discarded. Out of those three boons, I could pick whichever one I wanted, and it became my boon. And what I picked ended up being an architecture one, which allowed me to, on my turn when I build, I could pretend essentially pretend like i didn't need two resources of whatever the requirements were to build my wonder so let's say my wonder had needs one wood two clay a parchment and a glass and let's say i have no clay i could choose those two clay or i can make it any combination it doesn't have to be the same thing i could choose one clay and one wood if i didn't have that so i got that which then opened it up so i could essentially build all of my wonders at that point in the game but then, before I did, before I noticed I could build all my wonders, I ended up getting another science match. And Oh, no, I got, I got a science match for the first time because, like I said, my wonder, my first wonder is what got me the first boon. I got my one science match, and one of the boons on the board stated that all of my wonders that I would then build had the play again effect, which is essentially take another turn. So between my lack of requirements for my architecture and my ability to play again i then subsequently played all three of my remaining wonders back to back without jengis taking a turn and still got another turn on top it was a heavy combo it was a heavy combo it definitely i feel like it won him the game it definitely won him the <laughs> game and, and and but not by much like that's the thing as broken as that seems our final scores jengis was at it was 10 points apart yeah it was like 10 points apart it was like, like i was low 50s and he was low 40s and, yeah, yeah. It was like it was minimal, and so despite how broken it was, it still definitely evened out in the end. Jengis had found his own tempo and mm-hmm. figured out what he needed to do and it's brought his a, game back. Yeah, and it's a small box. It's not, and it's cheap. It's very cheap. It's like thirty bucks. Um, which well, is, granted, we are saying board game prices here. Yeah. I know some people are like thirty bucks. I know, but I mean, if you can find it on sale, Barnes and Noble card, you know, coupon, you right. get it a lot cheaper. Um, or support your local or game shop. Or support your local game shop, which I did when I purchased it. Uh, Highlander Games and Boone. <laughs> um, but all in all... I swear to God, none of these stores pay us for this. No. We get no store credit. We get nothing. We are literally pitching these stores to you just for our love of gaming and our love for these people and their wonderful establishments. I'll just say it more clearly. It's Highlander, comic... Uh, I think they're just games, but it's comics and games in Boone, New Jersey. On uh, It's on Boone Avenue. It's a great store. Uh, the owner Scott's a great guy. Check it out. I like. I, I swear, we really get nothing. It sounds like it. Yeah, we just we, we like just, our stores. Yeah. We like, appreciate them and we want them to stay open because yeah, that's the big thing. That's the real thing. Please give them business. All right. Um, everything. I mean, I mean, two thumbs, two thumbs up. up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unanimously, uh, we both really enjoyed the game. Yeah. We'll In play. fact, we're probably gonna play the moment we stop recording this podcast. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, it was great. Uh, our retro game. Is the classic Connect Four? Connect Four, go I don't for own it. Connect Four. Don't. I have digital versions. Yeah. I have 
connect with friends. <laughs> um, Facebook? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but connect for, I mean, it's, what do you say about it? It's it's, it's the simple. I mean, oh, I guess if you hold on, if you've never played Connect Four, it's true. I guess we need to explain. Um, it is a standing slotted board uh, that you can stick checkers into. They're usually the standard original Connect Four had b- black and red checkers, and the idea behind it is not to, in fact, play vertical checkers. It is to everybody. You take a turn. It's two people back and forth dropping one of your colored checkers into the board. The goal is to either horizontally, vertically, or diagonally connect four of your color pieces. Um, this game, I mean, it's still great. Oh, yeah. But when I was like, I don't know about you, but like <laughs> when I was in like elementary school and in camp, mm-hmm. connect four was like that game everybody wanted to play wow like it was the game where like you had to fight to get it like you ran into the room first because you knew it was <laughs> board game day and you wanted to be the one that like got to play connect four hmm. i don't know like about you but that I was i don't think i ever had experience no like that, oh man connect four was connect four bomb. was present though <laughs> um it you know something i did own at one point and i remember like you know how people play speed chess yeah that was like when I was a kid, that's how we played Connect Four because just you were, it was almost like just going through the motions. Because if you were playing somebody who had played the game enough, like you could tell, you could tell in the very beginning, the oldest trick in the book would be like, you know, you put a piece and somebody that doesn't know the game very well would either put a piece directly on top of yours or they put it somewhere like really outlandish and your piece is smack in the middle. And then you put a piece next to it. So they put another piece on top of yours. <laughs> and then the game's over because if you put another piece next to your uh, other, your centerpiece, you know, have a connect four to one of two ways, and they've already lost. The fools. So, yeah. So, like, your first move, like, those first two moves, that was pretty much when you knew whether or not the person was an experienced player. <laughs> then from there, <laughs> it was just going through the motions of block, set up, block, set up, block, set up. And usually I loved when you would get to, like, the very end, and there either would be a stalemate or just by the natural moves of the of left in the board – you end like one person ends up lo- uh, losing, but it's on the top layer. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. the very. I don't think end. I've ever gone to the top layer. No, oh, uh, I, I don't all think I played hardcore games of Connect Four. We should have had a team. I, I lived <laughs> in Florham Park at that time. We should have been like the regional the, Connect the Four. Regional Connect, like, we should have had a name, been like the Florham Park freaking Connectors. Connectors, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, it was great. I love that game. Yeah, it's a great game. It's solid. It stands up today. And surprisingly durable. We're talking this slotted yellow and blue board thing, vertical. um, And it has like a little mechanism at the simple mechanism at the end that holds the checkers in. And then you like slide it over and all the checkers fall out so you can reset the game. Um, Which, by the way, pro tip don't play. (laughs) Connect for pro tip. Yeah. (laughs) Don't play on a table. Put the connect for board the slotted you know mechanism put the whole thing inside the box so when you slide the checkers out they all just fall into the box and not all over the table that's a great tip david i know because i am <laughs> hardcore when it comes to connect four um and the strategy of that game is actually for once i mean like could i say it's be a dick as i normally do i could but that's not well, you really have it. to. But it's not even. But that's like, the thing. You, I don't think there's anything you do in that game that's not considered like good fun. 
Like it's like you. Know, it never feels malicious. You're just like this is just. Well, it's because it's you're 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 strategizing. It's all strategy. But it, it's you're sometimes not, not even that. You're not. You're trying to make sure your opponent can't win, but while also trying to make sure you can win at the same time. It's and it's it's crazy. It's very. It's more strategic than you think. But at the same time, it's just like, like when I think of it, I never think of it as a slow game. Like <laughs> I'm sure there are some people out there that play Connect Four, and it's like classic chess, where like everybody's just you know you drop, and then yeah. there's like that three minute waiting period where you're thinking, what are the moves they can make? What are the moves like? That's not how I think. Connect Four for me is like lightning round. <laughs> it's like. It's like, like you know who'd be a good opponent for me? The Flash. The Barry Flash. Allen and I would have a great Connect Four game. <laughs> He'd still be faster than me, but I would, I would be just. She'd be like, I don't have powers. That's just how I play Connect Four. I guess you're pretty fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's how I think of the game. I don't think of it as like this slow paced, like little like game. You know, it's mm. always quick to me. That's interesting. Yeah. You have to. One of us will have to buy it so we can play. A game. Yeah. I mean, so I, I, I want to get it. I want to get it for my son. I yeah, get that's it, You true. know, because I, I I think that's good. I have Mousetrap, which maybe that'll be a future podcast. Maybe. <laughs> um. So I'm not above getting like cheap old kitty board games, but like. Man. All right, son. I'm gonna teach you some Connect Four right now. Oh, boom, go. Boom, your turn. <laughs> Be like, all right, all right, all right. My turn. Boom. <laughs> like literally, just to just to talk about how fast this would go. I distinctly remember times, and this, and I did this at camp. You made people cry. No, I, I distinctly <laughs> remember times at camp, and this was considered just good, good gameplay and good form, where you're putting your piece at the top to drop it in. And your opponent is already doing the same thing for their turn. Sometimes directly on top of your piece, stacking them so they fall in together just to speed the game up that much My more. My God. <laughs> yeah, it was like, <laughs> connect four. And it was just like, all right, good game. Let's go again. Two out of three. My God. Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, it was, oh, it was awesome. Great game. Uh, so if you couldn't tell from my exuberant enthusiasm, Two thumbs up from me. I, I also agree. Yeah. Connect Four is a solid game. Solid. So. So ends our episode. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, before we go. Yeah. Uh, oh, we yeah. We would like to. This will be, oh, coming yeah. <laughs> this will be coming out the first weekend in August. Um, we would like to plug uh, upcoming. This he's, When he said this, he meant the podcast, the podcast. will be coming out yes. the first week in August as normal. Uh, but, but later in August. There you go. Uh, August 20th. August August 20th, yes. We are going. Uh, Geekade is going to be having a charity stream for colon cancer called A Pain in the a-thon. <laughs> we, we say other words, Jengis. We can just say pain in the ass-a-thon. That's true. Yeah. Um, not for colon cancer. Yeah. For the Colon Cancer Alliance. Yeah, you're right. For Sorry. a cure for colon yes, cancer. you're right. <laughs> Wording. <laughs> Wording, yes. Um, hence the pain in the ass-a-thon. That may be, I mean, to some, especially those, there's there's nothing funny about colon cancer. Yeah. On a serious note, my heart goes out to all those people of, of who suffer from any kind of cancer. Um, and I, we do not wish to make fun of your... Um, obviously, um, your disease and your illness, but this is for a good cause. And though the name may be a little snarky and in poor humor to some, we are doing this for a legitimate good cause. So please, please, please come watch. We are both running games, Jengis. Yes, uh, I'll be playing V V V V V V at about three ish, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then at eleven o'clock at night, I will be running the Hideo Kojima infamous. PS4 game PT. I use the word game lightly. It's the playable teaser, as most of you know. Um, 
which is no longer available on the no. PlayStation Store ever since his falling out with Konami and the sacking of the game. You, if you don't have it on your system already, you cannot get it. It is, it is great. Um, I'll be running that at 11 p.m. to 12 a.m. Mm-hmm. You should know, Jengis is terrified of horror. <laughs> All horror. Yeah. And I'm not terrified of horror. I like getting scared. But I definitely get... When it's a video game, I get into it. So... There's a good chance you'll see both of us just terrified and screaming <laughs> for an hour in the dark. Um, so be sure to tune in and donate. Yeah. Even if you can't donate, just be there to watch. Share the share it with your friends. Like we'll we'll be posting it on our social medias. If you follow Geek on social media, it'll be there too. Uh, just you know, tr- spread the word and come check us out August twentieth. Yeah, and it'll, it's on, on Twitch. Twitch. So yes. feel free to drop us comments when we're playing. We'd love to hear from you. It'd be a good distraction from the horrible thing that's coming after us to hear <laughs> our you know our friends and family and even some strangers. Yeah, give us some shout outs. Um, we would really really appreciate it, and I'm sure so would any person with colon cancer. I mean, obviously this is this is for them first and foremost. This is not a plug for Geek Aid. This is not a plug for us. This is a plug for them. So please, please tune in. And on that note, uh, that'll be it for our podcast for today. Yeah, thank you so much for listening, everybody. And have a good day. Take care.